from the first chapter, glory to you, O Lord. Our gospel this morning comes from St. Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. It is recorded, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with the water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I uh, adapted this to include um, Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, but it goes beyond what you just heard. And then also uh, part of Paul's letter to the church in Rome from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. It'll make sense, especially since we celebrate the rebirth of uh, Avery over there. So, a paradox. A paradox is a, a statement that seems to contradict itself, yet it may be true. And the Bible is full of paradoxes. The Son of God is Lord of all, and yet He comes to be our servant. We are by nature sinful, and we therefore lead sinful lives, yet God declares us holy for Jesus' sake. We are born enemies of God, and yet God adopts us into His family. Today's gospel has a paradox in it. John expressed the paradox when Jesus came for baptism. So this is after what you just heard me read. And he said this, John, to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And as we read, John baptized with water for repentance and the first step of repentance is the acknowledgement of sin. But Jesus is the only one, the only human being who led a sinless life, 
a life without sin. In fact, John knew that he himself was a sinner who needed to repent. And John was very bewildered by the idea that he, a sinner, would pour the waters of repentance over the head of the only person who knew no sin. It didn't make any sense. It was a paradox. The Apostle Paul explains the paradox with another paradox in 2 Corinthians verses 5 or verse 5:21 chapter 5 verse 21 it'll I'll get it there eventually for our sake Paul writes he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God and even though Jesus never sinned God made him to be sin. And you should ask, well, how can this be? We struggle with the paradoxes of the Bible because of the limitations of of our broken humanity, our our flesh, our intellect gets in the way. When God came to the end of the sixth day of creation, Genesis 1 verse 31, he saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Not just okay, not just good, but very good. This included Adam and Eve and the human beings that he had created. Sadly, that goodness only lasted a short while for we know that Adam and Eve sinned and broke the universe. They were no longer very good. They were corrupted. And they passed that corruption on to their children. The universe and mankind have been corrupted since that very day. And that corruption limits our ability to think, our ability to imagine. The epistle reading that we recently heard illustrates the limits of that corruption by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul had just made an elegant case that salvation is entirely God's work and that we can contribute nothing to our salvation. And that he taught that God's grace increases to cover all of our sins. And that our sinful corruption immediately demonstrates its limits by asking, should we not sin all the more so that God's grace can continue to increase? And Paul says, certainly not. So this question can take many forms. If God forgives all my sins, one could say, I can sin as much as I want to, right? Or, why should people be good if everything is forgiven? And these questions assume something that our limited and our corrupted thinking does not notice. They assume that humans believe there is a benefit to sin. That somehow sin is a desirable thing. And these questions assume that mankind is by nature sinful and unclean. 
These questions also assume that the only way to get people to behave is by force or reward for good behavior and punishment for bad behavior. It is our corrupt, sin-filled nature that is unable to see a reason for good works other than reward and punishment. Now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul anticipated this kind of thinking in this letter to Rome, and he, he wrote, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Well, because Jesus Christ has earned our salvation with his suffering and his death, and well, because that salvation has been delivered to us by the Holy, the Holy Spirit through, through baptism, through the water combined with the Word. And that made us dead to sin. We are free from sin. That is, that sin is no longer our master. That Jesus Christ was redeemed, has redeemed our corrupted thinking so that we can now understand that there is no benefit to sin. Christ's salvation has, has freed us from the desire to sin. Now we have a desire to do good instead. That is the reason that we are so frustrated when sin still shows up in our lives. And Paul takes us back to today's gospel. Through baptism, we are joined to Christ. That is that his life is in us. His life is in baby Avery. His spirit is in her. His death is for us. His resurrection is for us. Jesus came to John to be baptized for us. There are uh, several words in the original Greek that can be translated as forgiveness. One of those words contains the idea of lifting something up and, and carrying it away and then putting it down. And when Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Father lifted the crushing burden of sin away from you, and he laid it on him who knew no sin. The great gospel writer of the Old Testament, the great gospel writer of the Old Testament, Isaiah, said it this way in Isaiah 53, 4 and 6, or through 6. He said, surely he was born or has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement and that brought us peace. And with his wounds, with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
And so the paradox of Christ's baptism is solved. You see, he came to the Jordan as the greatest sinner of all. Not because he had ever sinned, but because he carried the sins of the world. And the Father made him to be sin who knew no sin. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In his baptism, Jesus stands with us in our baptism. The Holy Spirit joins us together. Repentance recognizes the terror of sin. And although Jesus never sinned, he did carry away the sin of the world. And even though the sin was not his, he still endured the terror of the punishment for that sin. He carried your sin and my sin all the way to the cross. And there he faced its terror as he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he hung there between you and the almighty wrath of God's justice. And he took the blows of your sin into himself. And he satisfied the perfect and eternal justice of God for you and for Avery. The Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write, You know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Jesus has carried your old sinful nature kicking and screaming to the cross. Jesus carried that old sinful nature to death. And he left it there where he rose from the dead. And you and I and Avery and all who are baptized believers, we are no longer slaves to that sin. God responded to the baptism of Jesus with a great epiphany. For a brief moment, all three persons of the triune God revealed themselves as the team that they are. God the Son stepped up out of the water. God the Holy Spirit descended in visible form, described like a dove. And God the Father spoke from heaven. He said, this is my beloved son, my beloved daughter, with whom I am well pleased. I say that because in your baptism, I believe that God is saying to that person receiving the Holy Spirit, you are my daughter this day. With you I am well pleased. We see this in baptism. We see the unity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in making salvation a reality. The baptism of Jesus in the Jordan publicly demonstrates that Jesus identifies with sinners. He has come to take 
the people's place. He has already carried the sin of the world from his conception, but his work was was private. But with his baptism in the Jordan, his work of salvation is public. And the epiphany of the Father and the Spirit proclaim his mission to the world. That is this. Jesus is the innocent sin-bearer who will take away your sins. And according to the early church, the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan is the official beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And during the process that the early church used to replace Judas, Peter said in Acts 1, 21 and 22, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. The baptism of Jesus in the, jo- in the Jordan points us forward to all the work that Jesus did for us. His perfect life, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the work that he still does among us as our risen and ascended Lord. It points It points us toward our own baptism as a means for the Holy Spirit to deliver Christ's salvation to us. And in solidarity, Jesus is in the water. Jesus in the water is one of us. He he begins healing. He heals the corruption that limits us. He begins healing the corruption that hides the truth from us. And he shows us that he is the sinner's friend. That he is the sinner's savior. He makes you his own. That you may live with him forever. In the name of Jesus, amen.